You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 99 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for November 2021. 99. I I just realized I do a monthly podcast and I'm on episode 99. This is this is insane. But anyway, it is not 100 yet, so we shall not celebrate yet. That is for next month. Actually, it's nice to end the year on the celebration. Anyway, joining me today, I have a panel that is small in number, being a total of one person, but very high in quality and extremely relevant. (laughs) So the Mac admin himself, Charles Edge, is with us from the Mac admins podcast. Hi, Charles. Hey, Bart. How you doing? I am doing good. Um, It's been a while since our listeners have heard your voice, but thank you for coming back on. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Yeah, um, I think it was Chuck introduced me to you actually on one of his gift shows. So it was uh, anyway. I I just did one a couple of weeks ago. They're fun. Yeah, they great fun. Uh, They're great. Uh, fun. It's like a Christmas present to get to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Now we have ourselves a lot of Apple news to digest. So uh, let's get stuck in with some follow ups and updates on long running stories we've been tracking on this show for the last while. Uh, small update in the world of app tracking transparency and privacy and all that stuff. The uh, private click measurement, which is Apple's carrot for the stick of ATT. Basically, it lets the advertisers know how their ads are doing without knowing who's doing the, you know, basically how often are they clicked, but not who's clicking them. That was web only. That is now web and in-app advertisement. So the excuse that, oh, we have to spy on people because otherwise you don't know how our ad purchase went. Well, no. We can tell you how your ad purchase went, but you don't get to spy on people. I I like it. Anyway, that is good to see that rolling out. We talked in detail either last month or the month before about Apple's digital IDs and how much in love I was with the technology they had come up with. Eh, they've been delayed. Uh, So they're now scheduled for quote-unquote early 2022. So we shall keep an eye on that. And simultaneously, there was a report um, in one of the American papers detailing the contract Apple has with the States. It was interesting. Um, it was it was sort of reported as a semi-scandal to get some clickbait, but, you know, because Apple was making the state manage the data. And I'm thinking, no, the state actually owns the data. That's how it's supposed to be. Having been through contract negotiations between different states, the requirements for like New York versus California versus England versus (laughs) London versus, you know, even within New York, as an example, Manhattan has different requirements. So I can only imagine how much back in legal wrangling is happening. Having said that, it'll totally be worth it because at this point I can walk out of the house, get in my car, drive to the gas station and pay with my phone. And if I forgot my wallet, no big deal. Yeah. But if I get pulled over on the way home, it's now a fix it ticket, but, you know, an annoyance for sure. Yeah. You know, and the fact that it's an ISO standard and stuff that they help develop, I think, is a big deal. So, of course, the states have to do the back end. That's the way these these things work, right? The whole point of having the ISO standard is that you draw this line that says your problem, Apple's problem. And the Apple's problem is the technology and the your problem is the 
keeping record of who's who. And yeah, the other responsibility in the States is actually proving the person's identity. And that was also reported as like, how dare Apple pawn that off? And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> what business do Apple have attesting that I am who I say I am for my government ID? That's that's what my government is for. Yeah, most governments should have federated identity providers. I, you know, I, I mean, it would just make things, whether it's voting registration or right. renewing tabs for your car or linking property tax portals. Like there's so many different things. Um, I, I, I can only imagine how complicated that would be federally because each state is um, – potentially maniacally independent here, here in the United States. <laughs> That's a good description. I like that. <laughs> maniacally independent. Yeah, I mean, I, so even though I don't sound it, I am actually Belgian and my ID is still a Belgian ID. And the Belgian IDs are actually, um, they actually have cryptographic certificates and stuff. So you can actually do within Belgium, you do things cryptographically with your national ID. But my ID has the chip. And it's all set up for being all cool and digital certificate but there is nothing for me to do in Ireland with my Belgian digital ID. <laughs> but anyway. So yeah, anyway, that's coming early next year. And I hope, since it's an ISO standard, I'm hoping that will start to roll out to more countries. You know, Ireland, hello. Anyway. Um, we heard back in September about the colourful new HomePods. Well, lots of countries get to play along now. Um, Australia, New Zealand, India, Austria, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Spain and the UK. Um, I'm trying to convince my darling beloved that he really wants a, you know, pretty coloured HomePod for... But no, I'm getting nowhere. <laughs> I'm getting absolutely nowhere. <laughs> we have a black one and a white one. I have a white one in the kitchen, which is the right color, I think, for a kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Everything's clean and, you know, yeah, and it matches you the, see the germs. Yeah, it matches the countertop <laughs> and everything. And it's kind of good that it sort of hides away in there. Actually, I have, sorry, I have two of them. What was I thinking? I bought a stereo pair. I'd even forgotten I have two of them. That's how well one of them's hidden. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think in some, I, I'd like an excuse for a yellow one, but uh, I'm I'm getting no traction. Anyway. Hypothetically, I could. And of course, the other big long running story is that uh, governments around the world have noticed large tech companies and are paying close attention. So the latest developments we have, the South Koreans are not satisfied with how Apple and, and indeed Google um, are complying with their recent law on the app stores. Um, we shall see how quite how that crankiness manifests itself. But uh, the parliament passed the law and Apple's interpretation of the law is not nearly what the parliament thought it would be. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's one to keep watching. We keep our popcorn out. Um, the European Union has come a step closer to its Digital Markets Act, which is basically GDPR for running large companies. Uh, it, that will be very interesting. Uh, DMA basically applies to any con any company running a large marketplace and what their responsibilities are. And it really comes down to you have to be a fair, you have to run a fair marketplace. And if you're taking part in your own market, there's extra rules. And I frankly find it hard to find it objectionable. But it's an EU law in the making, so there is a lot of sausage. And it's, yeah, stay tuned. But anyway, step closer. And, and it would theoretically pertain to google yes amazon with or amazon competing with um by making products competing yes. with the people other people who make products so i mean it, it's pretty wide ranging it's 
interesting how the courts in the 80s decided to allow this unregulated internets and um, and now that it's such big business whether it's you don't pay enough tax I mean a lot of these things just feel like a way to kind of land grab cash from these companies who are pretty much printing it so they'll just print more right yeah well, I mean the excuse for not regulating the internet was oh you're going to nip something in the bud while it's nascent well I think it might be a little bit beyond that now yeah <laughs> <laughs> those, those poor little startup companies who are have you know bigger GDPs than well frankly Ireland yeah. <laughs> a lot of countries <laughs> yeah um, the Italians are a little bit cranky with, with, with lots of the tech companies, actually. So the, the first bit of crankitude was uh, Apple and Amazon <coughs> were fined $150 million, uh, about €100 million, Euro, um, over their agreement for basically having everyone who's not genuine certified Apple kicked off the Amazon store. The Italians didn't like that. Um, and then the Italians are cranky at Google and Apple for extremely vague not being transparent enough about their data use. It's like, well, I can understand the half of your argument there, Italy, but Apple are very transparent, and frankly, Google compared to Facebook, Google are actually quite transparent too. Why of all the companies on planet Earth do you think that Google and Apple are the ones you should be finding? But anyway, both companies have said they will appeal. I, I can Because see they have all the monies. That's why. Yeah, the Italians have been cranky with Apple a lot, like over... Apple Care and stuff. There's been a lot of the Italian flag has been in our show notes quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. Meanwhile, in the UK, there are some questions being raised by parliamentary committees about the age ratings on various apps in the App Store and how easy it is to just pretend that you're over eighteen or well over seventeen. You know. So we shall see how that pans out. And Google got grilled as well, but of course, all the reporting was about Apple because clickety click click. This is hard because with millions of apps, I mean, you can do machine learning to try to identify certain things that you don't want people to see in certain age ranges, but it's it's an opt-in. I mean, every time I publish an app, it says, what age rating do you want to give this app? And then when if someone complains, they look into it, but... If no one complains, I mean, it's a self-governance issue with app publishers more than anything, you know? It, it definitely is. But also, the Parliament seem to be more cranky about the fact that if you give a kid an iPhone and don't set up parental controls, they can do whatever they want. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that's why parental controls were invented. Right. <laughs> my my kid has to ask every time they install an app. You and know. Apple make it so easy. Like, Apple facilitate good parenting. They can't force good parenting but they certainly facilitate it well they do a kid can opt out of parental controls at i think 13 if i'm not mistaken so that's that becomes uh like you know you can't that whatever the the age threshold is for a given municipality whether it's 18 in minnesota for example to be a quote unquote an adult yeah like you know, that that is this weird amorphous five years where I can't lock down any of the technology I give the kid, but they can opt out. Now, the carrot and stick, um, you know, you I, I pay, pay for the doing, apps. Right? So. <laughs> but 
like if you put if the if the child is in the family's in a family Apple ID, you still get visibility, right? Even if they can opt out of some of the controls. Yeah, they can opt out of the family entirely. Oh, they can just leave the family. Okay, but you would yeah. notice, I guess, if yeah, all of a sudden Apple said and your kid has left. At which point you're like, okay, <laughs> right. time to get into some real world parenting. Yeah, you can pay for all your own things now. Do you know how much those Oreos cost? <laughs> as long as you're under my digital roof. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's funny, actually, how a lot of the digital stuff has reversed that because my parents are in a lot of my family plans. Because... Yeah, mine too. <laughs> like, Bart, do you know this tech thing? <laughs> right. Yeah, not only do I get to manage it, but I get to um, pay for it. Yeah. You're welcome, Dad. Yay! <laughs> Go me. Uh, and then finally, in our long-running stories, um, the continuing uncomfortableness of authoritarian regimes and Apple. Um, Russia have demanded that Apple, and frankly a whole bunch of other American companies, uh, but Apple obviously of our concern, they have to set up a physical office in Russia by the end of 2021, or they'll be in breach of their laws. I don't know how Apple are going to respond to that, but 2021 is uh, almost three finished. Weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how quickly you can buy headquarters, and I guess maybe a PO box of some sort would do. I don't know. Um, well, then there's the legalities. I mean, you know, you don't want to get sued for a few billion dollars for accidentally setting up a corporation incorrectly, right? Yeah, minor things like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah, it's it's odd, odd. Anyway, we shall see how that goes. Um, the Chinese Apple decided... has employees in Russia, so my assumption would be that they already have like an employer of record, and therefore potentially a mailing address through the employer of record, right? Yeah, and yet somehow the government don't think it's sufficient, but it's a bit unclear. And there were thirteen companies listed, including some really big names, like obviously Apple. <laughs> But it's, it's It'd be funny to shut control. down Apple and Google in a given country and be like, okay, well, there, there's your technology. Goodbye. <laughs> well, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Well, in China, of course, the, the, uh, you know, they have a lot of alternatives to these things. But anyway, the, the China does this... still run a Google operating system. True. Just an open source one and without the Google bits. <laughs> ish. Ish. Yeah, ish. <laughs> Um, China has made the show notes this month for uh, blocking Flight Radar 24, which is A, one of my favorite apps, and B, not exactly a political hot potato, but I guess they don't want people tracking airplanes. Anyway, they booted from the Chinese app store, so there you go. Most of our interactive computing going back to Whirlwind derives from us trying to track bombers <laughs> flying into the United States, so... You know, I get it, ish. Ish, ish. <laughs> and then um, one of the leftovers from the Trump administration is that we trade war between China and uh, the US and Apple are asking for some more exemptions from those tariffs uh, so they can bring in parts for the Apple Watch and the Mac Pro. So I hope they get those because I would, well, I don't care so much about the Mac Pro personally, but Apple Watch, I'd like one of those next September, please. So don't make them more expensive. And then there was and slower to get. Yeah, and slower to get, even slower. Um, and then Apple released their annual report on how many government requests and stuff they get. And normally I like to talk about that, but this year's report ends at the end of 2020. And all the interesting stuff started around about January 6th, 2021. So this report is pretty much 
not the main event. So I think next year's one I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on. But this one is like, yeah, whatever. I mean, requests went down slightly. I do not believe for a moment that requests went down after January 6th. No. <laughs> so, you know, we shall see. There are hundreds yeah, so. of people in that one. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the list is there, you can see. And Germany is actually one of the biggest requesters of data, which surprises me. Not China, Germany. And they're also really pro-privacy, so I don't know. Okay, moving on to legal latest land. We will briefly visit Apple v. Epic, but I'm not going to hang around here because I hate this place. Um, but gosh, it's a long-running story. Anyway... Uh, when last we left our story, Apple was asking for an extension, please, from the judge about the changes they were for that the injunction says they have to make to the App Store. Uh, judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers went, "Nope." December 9th, thou shalt make your App Store changes. Uh, Apple then went to the Ninth Circuit of Appeals and went, please, 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 can we not do it on December 9th? And as we record this right now, we have no answer that I have seen yet from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the 9th of December is very close by. So Yeah, four days as of this recording. I mean, my hope is that they have plenty of time to test all of the appropriate code because these <laughs> are some substantial changes. And you, you don't want – I mean, you're talking about undoing a few very specific things that hail to the security underpinnings of the operating system. So – I would hope that nothing gets rushed out and there's not a certificate. I don't know if you remember a long time ago, there was a certificate, just one little certificate and it expiring um, caused no app packages to work for a few days until Apple got it fixed. And those kind of little things you're like, yeah, you, you should be able to rush this through. You have 100,000 employees, but really there's only probably two people who can write this code. You, <laughs> you truly so, understand the App Store, yeah. Right. So and, I feel bad for them. You know, yeah, and I, I feel days. double bad, right? Because Apple's argument is, yeah, but this is all under appeal. So you want us to rip apart the App Store, but actually it, on appeal, this whole thing could be overturned. Mm-hmm. It seems like you should wait to rip it apart before, you know, if it was a physical thing, you wouldn't say knock it down, you can build, you can rebuild it later. But somehow because it's digital, it's seen as, oh, well, just, like, you know, that's not how it works. I work in IT, just, <laughs> my least, there is only, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one four letter word that thou shalt not uh, use in my presence. It is J-U-S-T. <laughs> so much of my work life is ruined by those four letters. Just, just. Uh, meanwhile, in Australia, Apple had asked an Australian court if they could pretty please have a delay on the Epic case there until the American one was done and the Australians went, nope, you should <laughs> do two things at once. So that one's also moving forward. And uh, in the meanwhile, just to prove that if Epic actually wanted to have the game store in iOS land, they could. Netflix have just launched a subscription gaming service on iOS and it's entirely in keeping with the existing App Store rules um, and seems to be working just fine. So, there you go. Meanwhile, the Cydia crew from the jailbreak days are sitting there saying, me too, me too. <laughs> so, and therein lies the ability to sideload a jar into Android, you know, as a comparison and being able to completely subvert all the security controls. Like, I'm, I'm not in love with it, but I'm not a judge, yeah, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> for everyone who likes a just society. 
<laughs> there, are, there are obviously times that it would be fun to just be able to say, no, I rule it. Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have great judgment. So it, it, it's in the name of the, the position description, judge. So yeah. I can't be one. But, oh, well. Now, a story that makes me happy because I have been on the Apple retail employees side on this whole shenanigans all along. Um, the Apple pay, The Apple retail workers who were basically forced to have their bag searches on their own time, because Apple were paranoid they might steal stuff, they're getting paid for that time. Because some of it was like half an hour of extra work time, effectively unpaid. I thought it was disgraceful. So they're getting paid. Meanwhile, the lawsuit, that the, the class action suit that Apple settled with developers, that settlement has now gone closer to becoming real. Um, it has been approved by the judge. And developers now have until March to opt out of the class. So if you are an American developer who doesn't want to be covered by this class action, then you have until March to say, no, 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 no. I reserve my right to sue independently, basically. Um, so we, and then once that time has passed, I guess the 100 million starts to trickle its way to developers. And then finally, um, I think this was happening just as we were recording last month. Um, so November 5th, there was a concert, uh, Astro World, and there was some sort of crowd management failure where they ended up with people being crushed, which is so not something you expect in these days. That's like such a you know throwback to when I was a kid in the 80s. Um, anyway, there were, um, was it 10 people killed? which is astounding. Uh, 125 of the survivors are suing Apple Music, Epic Records, Travis Scott, Drake and Live Nation for $750 million for the loss of mental and physical health and human life. And the reason Apple Music are involved is because they were streaming the um, ill-fated conference when this all happened. So, yeah, we didn't talk about it last month. And I mean, I don't really know what there is to say other than ick. And I guess I understand why they're being sued. Because usually yeah. I hate people who jump on the bandwagon, but that they might have a point there. Yeah, I I don't know what I don't know around stuff like this, but from all of the experts that I've heard interviewed, which, you know, uh, <laughs> your mileage may vary with that, right? right? Um, but it it sounds like it was just a failure in the in the processes of crowd management. I, I'm not sure how the streamer of the event is liable, um, but yeah. But do you it, have to name everyone, basically, if you're going to have the lawsuit? Is, is that sort of the way it works, that you name everyone who's making profit of it? I guess. I don't, yeah. Because it seems I, to me like Live Nation, who, actually organi- who are actually the event organizers, are probably... They shouldn't be the and the live nation on the end of that list. They should probably be at the start. Right. Yeah, and the, and the artist up on stage probably didn't have much to do with how badly managed the crowd was either. Well, Travis Scott is pretty famous for rallying crowds up. Um, I'm not trying to put anything on him specifically, but, uh, you know, that is part of the draw of going to see him in person. So, yeah, but. That's called being a good entertainer, and that should be possible without, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I was at a helmet show one time, and they stopped and left because people wouldn't start stop stage diving, and you know <laughs> the, their crowd control was okay. 
this is your only warning. And then five minutes later, they put their guitars down and left. Wow. Yeah. I guess if you get a reputation for doing that, they won't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. They, and at the time, they did have a reputation for like having a zero tolerance for that kind of thing. But, um, but people still wanted to do it. And they did. And Helmet was like, uh, no. And that's why we can't have nice things. Right. Mm. Okay, Apple HR and acquisition news. This is often a very empty section, but I don't know, maybe it's the end of the year or something with lots of people changing their minds on things, you know, making a new start for 2022, but it's been really busy. Um, I think this is hilarious, but Apple think they're coming back to the office in February. Um, good luck with that is my thinking anyway their plan is to have a return to the office from the 1st of February uh, but they have made some concessions to workers they're going to allow a hybrid working model where they get to do some days from home and they're increasing the work people's allowance for full work from home weeks uh, allowing more of them each year okay I think this is very hypothetical rather than actual but we shall see uh much less happy making. Uh, Cher Scarlett, who is one of the driving forces behind the hashtag Apple II movement, uh, has left Apple uh, after agreeing a settlement with the company. Um, Apple HO were quick to affirm the rights of their employees to discuss working conditions externally. And yet all the hashtag Apple II people are gone. Uh, and uh, as part of some... Uh, immigration paperwork basically a freedom of information act was able to get at some of the salaries apple pay for their engineers i didn't say anything weird or wonderful but it's a data point um i also didn't see anyone saying there was anything scandalous in in the rates apple were paying that seemed seemed pretty good to me actually to be honest i didn't see any problems Johnson & Johnson CEO Alex Gorski has joined Apple's board as a director. Um, Sam Jadala, Apple's head of home services, is leaving after just two years. And uh, unlike most people who leave, we don't actually know where he's going. So he may actually genuinely be going to spend more time with his family. You know, sometimes that stereotype is true or cliche. Um, Apple's senior director, uh, one of, sorry, Apple Care senior director Randy Teeley has uh, left Apple to go join GameStop, of all places. Um, Hopefully so, it comes with stock options. Do I, <laughs> I was going to say, are they on the moon these days? Isn't that what they were? Anyway, um, he, he was responsible for some hardware aspects of Apple Care at Apple, and apparently he's going to be working on their refurbed hardware division in GameStop. So I guess that is a sensible fit. Um, good good get for GameStop it seems like a dead end place to go in my opinion but hey what do I know uh, and finally Apple have lost one of their former Tesla engineers uh, Michael Schwekus something like that it's very German looking I am sorry Michael um, anyway he has left Apple's car project to join Archer they're a startup company working on vertical takeoff and landing electric air taxis do you know something? That does actually sound cooler than an Apple car. So he's leaving to be VP of engineering for Archer. Yeah, okay. That's 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 a promotion. That's a good that's a good good reason to leave Apple. That doesn't mean the sky is falling and that Apple's car is in trouble. That's just a really cool job. This was a super popular um a super popular investment about a year or three ago on the VC space. Uh there were probably two dozen of these that just popped up out of nowhere. And 
in that one to three years, I, I don't feel like I've seen anything other than some pilots bouncing between buildings around downtown LA and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. But, it's like, like my jetpack, it's still missing in action. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Soon. Asimov promised me a jetpack. Dang it. And a positronic brain. Yeah, actually, <laughs> while we're at it. Some highlights from Apple services and original content. Uh, Apple Music, first, they struck a deal with Tencent to basically bring their Chinese catalogue worldwide, which is pretty cool. Uh, Apple have been in France for 40 years, and they decided to celebrate that by opening an Apple Music studio in Paris. So there's going to be Apple Music content live from Paris, which is nice. And uh, if you have an LG smart television, you can listen to Apple Music on it now, assuming you have appropriate subscriptions, etc. I'm probably going to stop including these in the show notes every month, but just to say yet again, Apple Arcade is continuing to roll out new games. We have Kingdom Rush Frontiers TD and Gala Wars Plus arrived one week, followed by a definitely bigger title, Lego Star Wars uh, on Apple Arcade, which is... You know, initially it was like little games to keep yourself entertained, but Lego Star Wars is, that's pretty major, like. Not bad for five bucks a month. No, especially when it's included with the bigger subscription. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that is the main reason I, that I have Apple, access to Apple Arcade. Um, before Apple won, the better half had Apple Arcade and I had uh, Apple Music, whereas now we all just have everything. Yeah, same. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't game that much anymore, regrettably. It's part of the deal I have with the family. When I'm working on new books, I'm not allowed to game because, you know, they they conflict with the ability to actually engage with the family. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. So one or the other. Um, Yeah. No, I I see the logic already because writing a book is certainly a good way to disconnect from reality and playing games is a good way to disconnect from reality. Mm Mm-hmm. It would be nice to yeah. visit. And it's super arguable, which is more productive, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Fingers crossed for the book. Yeah. <laughs> In Apple TV land, which is a distraction you can do with the family, um, Tom Hanks broke Tom Hanks's record. Uh, Finch <laughs> made the biggest opening weekend for an Apple TV Plus movie. Uh, apparently it's very good. Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't watched it yet, but Better half said it was good. Uh, Apple TV Plus increased their market share by 1%. Okay. Better than nothing. And I don't think there is a time of year anymore that it isn't award season, because I seem to be reporting on awards every month. But anyway, CODA has received nine Hollywood Critics Film Association uh, award nominations. Um, Tehran has gotten uh, Best Drama at the International Emmy Awards. And uh, Coda then got two Gotham Awards as well. So Coda really hasn't very well. And in somewhat related news, Amazon have brought their Prime Video app to the Mac App Store. If you would like to watch Amazon Prime's video content on a shiny big iMac without using your web browser, now you can. Um, And then Apple's shiny new maps are continuing to roll out around the world. Uh, The cool 3D stuff has come to Washington, D.C. And uh, the Germans and the Spanish can now report uh, hazards and so forth uh, to Apple Maps, which should make things a bit easier for users of the maps in those two countries. Right. Well, that brings us to our main stories. We have 
four main stories. Well, three and a half main stories, but I've labeled them as four. Uh, we have uh, Apple to have a self-service repair program will be our first one. Then we have a definite renewed focus on business and enterprise customers as our second story. Then we have Apple suing the makers of the Pegasus malware as our third story. And then I want to finish by having a good crankiness at the kerfuffle over Apple having the temerity to buy ads for their own store. How dare they? <laughs> I have a feeling you and I will be on the same page there. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. But anyway, so let us dig into the first story first. So um, Apple surprised pretty much everyone by uh, having an official mechanism for random people to repair their own Apple products in a certified you know, officially sanctioned way. Um, it's starting small. Of, well, I say small. Nothing is small when Apple do it, right? But it's starting in a restricted fashion. Um, it's coming to America first, the United States specifically. And it's coming to the most common phones and the most common repairs. So basically screens on the new iPhones and those kind of things. And then the plan is to expand it both to more countries and to more products. Um they mention Macs, but they very explicitly stuck the word M1 in front of their Macs when they mentioned it rolling out to more Macs. So I don't think that older Macs are ever going to get grandfathered into this. I think this is basically Apple's custom products rolling forward. But it seems pretty substantial to me that you can get the manuals, you can get the parts all officially through Apple. And they're saying the pricing will be the same as what they charge their uh, certified repair people. So that certainly sounds interesting. Yeah, I you know, I used to be a partner in a consulting firm that was a re- certified repair facility and um you know, I I did a couple of interviews with people in the press around this when it was announced and released and I like the idea of anyone at the current company I work doing this themselves no one wants to. I, I, I just asked around the office before I did the interview, and it was 100% hell no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I pay the people for. <laughs> yeah, that's what we pay people for. We'll take it to the Apple store. Now, we're privileged to have four Apple stores within a 20-minute drive of us. That is, yeah, that is a luxury because this island I am on – well, no, the island has one in Belfast, but that is literally a different country, and they're not even in the EU anymore. So that's <laughs> – because I, I used to get very cranky when people said, no, no, Bart, you do have an Apple store. It's in Belfast. It's like, yes, and uh, Canada has stuff in New York. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I could see how some some people might want to pay a store to do this stuff on their behalf and things of that nature. But I mean, these are precision electronics. I you know, just <laughs> opening the phone to put a new screen on it is not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, all I drew the, the line holes... up the Mac mini because you needed a spudger. The moment you needed right. something called a spudger, I was like, no, I'm done. Uh, and then when the iMac started to need suction cups, I was like, nope, 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 not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm certified to do this work and I don't want to do it. I mean, you use the wrong amount of of glue, not glue, but adhesive, adhesive um, and the screen will just kind of come off. Ah, no yes. one wants the screen to come off because your pocket's too hot. You or know, it won't be waterproof. It's literally right? touching your body, or it won't be waterproof, and then you're really screwed. So yeah, you're right, you get a bit sweaty, and your phone is broke. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do think this is necessary from a legal perspective. Yes, a hundred and ten percent. Because this was uh, this was really a case of either jump or be pushed. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me a lot better for Apple to take the initiative and to organize this program yeah. in a way that works for them. Then you can control your own destiny in that yeah. in that regard. Um, I, I do find it really interesting the how the aftermarket repair companies, you know, the your screens cracked repair joint down the road will slot into something like this because none of them that I know of in my area, at least are actually Apple certified, you know? Yeah. See, this is right. So my initial reaction was, well, this is, this is obviously about legally putting yourself on the right side of, you know, skate to where the puck is going, right? As Steve Jobs would have put it, right? So Mm -hmm. we leave that aside. But next up was, this is basically a very, very small minority of people who are very, very loud and vocal are getting sort of kind of what they want ish. And I didn't think it was a big deal. And then someone said to me, okay, well, these manuals are going to be published on Apple's website. And I was like, okay, well, that's actually genuinely useful. And this will be great for independent repair places. And I immediately went to, we haven't seen the terms of service here. If this is for self-service repair, and if this won't affect your warranty, why do I have the distinct impression that when Apple release the paperwork, it'll be that I will do my phone? And that this is not going to cover you doing my phone. And that if you try to order 500 screens in a year, you will be told to go pound sand because Apple have a program for people who need to do other people's phones. It's called being a certified Apple repair shop. Yep. So we shall see. We shall see. Yeah. I I look forward to seeing how it rolls out. My assumption... I mean, another point I have on this, as a... As a service provider, we were required to meet certain metrics around how correctly we diagnosed a problem. Oh. And um, and then we got extra uh, money, percent, percentage points, marketing dollars. I can't remember how it came, but there was extra consideration provided the more accurate we were huh. across a year. And... It, you know, there was always the assumption that if we really sucked at it and we had to send for an extra logic board or something for every single repair that we were doing, that we'd probably get booted from the program. And <laughs> I, I, maybe eight, nine years ago, Apple also started reducing the number of people that were in that program and not renewing people because uh-huh. I think I'll. It was becoming somewhat diluted, and a lot of the people were just going to the Apple Store at the at that time. So they're they didn't need as many. Um, sure, and sure, then sure. also that kind of coincided with that era where all of a sudden everything soldered directly, and yeah. so devices were just going to a depot anyways. You know. Yeah. So the repair shop was adding very little value because all they could do was go, "Well, we can't do that." Yep, and then if Apple's sending it to their depot, then they can bat, they can send a bigger batch, cut down on costs, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it all made sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> as I say, I, I'm going to be very curious to see how this how, how this translates from a press release into a real program. Yep. And who gets to go second, right? America's going first, but who gets to go second? Part of me is <laughs> thinking with how loudly the EU shout. The EU might just get in there as, as second place. 
Yeah, I'm guessing it's whoever it's easiest to figure out how to do the terms and conditions of the program with the lawyers first. <laughs> yeah. now, the one the one thing that goes counts against Europe is that uh, Apple would have to translate all the manuals into French and German and Italian and Flemish and, you know, and, 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 and. Because mm-hmm. uh, the only English speakers left in the EU are us here in Ireland, um, since our neighbour next door sod it off. Um, so, anyway... And Swedish and Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It, it's, I mean, and we're often very late to get stuff like the Apple Music Store and stuff because you have all of these, you know, like Ireland, a little island of, you know, four million people. We have to have our own rights agreement. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, <laughs> we shall see. Moving on to the second main story, um, which is the one that I think you are most, uh, most in direct contact with. Um, Apple really... Double down, not double down, that seems like the wrong word, reminded us that they do actually care about business and enterprise customers um, with two programs. Um, The biggest one is definitely the Business Essentials program, which is basically competing with Jamf to give you mobile device management for, you know, they're saying small to medium businesses, which is up to 500 employees, which is not that small. Which could be 1,500 devices. If, Easily, if everyone has two point seven right. devices. So, yeah. yeah, was it we in um, in work uh, the ratio of our number of students to the amount of people on Wi Fi is something approximating two and a half to one? Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, so this is a, a really interesting one, and I, I would say it, it was to be expected. Apple acquired a company called Fleetsmith a couple of years ago, yeah. and so. We were all waiting, I would say, to see where that went. And I, I would say in the interest of full disclosure, I was hired to by Champ a number of years ago to build a team that, that released a product called Bushel. Now it's called Jamf Now. And uh. that product would probably be the one in the market that most directly, quote unquote, competes with Apple Business Essentials. Um, I don't work at Champ anymore, but I, you know, given that background, I, I figured I, it, it, I should disclose that up front. Well, yeah, I mean, A, thank you for disclosing it, but B, that's all the more reason to have you talk about it because you know of what you speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, code level experience working with the Apple APIs for doing this kind of stuff is, I, I would say, kind of few and far between. It's, um, it's not simple code and. Uh, you know, it's it can uh, be a bit clunky. So my experience is from being an Intune admin. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so and you basically have this. You know, Apple have a view of the universe, and so you have to go into Apple School Manager to do everything. And then Microsoft have a view of the universe, and you're in Microsoft Portal number five hundred and twelve because there isn't an admin portal for Microsoft. There's an admin portal for every conceivable nuance you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, someone actually did a web page of all the Microsoft portals, and the scroll bar is very small. Um, <laughs> but you, you basically you're setting it all up in, in in Apple School Manager, then saying these devices are entrusted to Intune, and then you've got to switch over to the Intune side. So you say, and I am taking these devices and I'm applying these rules to it. Um, mm-hmm. But just from the university sector, Jamf really, really have this sewed up because every consultant we went to for advice. It's like, oh, yeah, no, Jamf. Yeah, everyone's using yeah. Jamf. It's like, yeah, but we want to use Intune because we're, you know, we're Microsoft customers. 
Uh, yeah. Okay, well, good luck with that. Let us know how you get up. <laughs> and it, it, it's funny you mention Intune because I would say Microsoft has Intune. Google has their own suite of tools. And Apple needed something in the cloud. So they've mm. always made a device management tool or by always, I mean, since they released the MDM spec years and years ago around, I think, iOS 3 and uh, profile manager, it was called. But you had to go out and buy a server, install the server. And a lot of the back end code was not Swift or Objective-C. There were all these Ruby scripts <laughs> and Python scripts. I mean, you could tell the different when features were added in the different eras by which developer was super into Ruby or super into Python <laughs> or super into Objective C, you know. So they were they were cobbling all this stuff together um, to to give us this tool that does, frankly, far more than what they released the other day. Hmm. But you had to install it on your own system, and then. I would say every other software update, major release software update, you would have to re-enroll all your devices, which when device supervision came along, meant you probably had to wipe them all because a supervised device couldn't just be moved willy-nilly into a new mobile device management infrastructure, which when you nuke and paved profile manager, you suddenly were a another MDM effectively. So Jeez. Apple has had first party tooling for this for a long time. They did when we started writing champ. Now, you know, it's, it's nothing new. Um, the, the thing I, the other thing I would point out historically is Apple's had device management actually going back to the, the back half of the eighties and they've never marketed it or advertised it or really talked about it all that much. In fact, yeah. On the server side, they never even talked about in an ad the fact that they had a server until the XServe came along because they are a hardware company or were a hardware company. Now, in the era of the App Store and subscription models, this becomes yet another subscription that you can pay for a few bucks a month per device, which you know, um, I would say it comes in a little more expensive than Jamf now as an example, a little less expensive than some of the other other tools on the market. And this is a very red ocean. So frankly, I'm surprised Apple even cares about it. But there is one thing that you can get from this that you can't get anywhere else. And that is organizationally controlled buying additional iCloud storage. So mm. you can buy extra iCloud storage for each device that you enroll in this program. And that's kind of a cool feature for, I would say, some of the organizations who I've already recommended this to would be very small family offices of the rich and famous in Los Angeles, where I'm, I moved to Minnesota from many years ago. And in those scenarios, um, you have a lot of devices that have never really been under management. Because, yes. for example, if rich and famous person loses their iPhone, you know, they they've never had the requirements that companies typically have for being able to wipe it remotely. So um, but now we're starting to see a little more of that flowing, flowing there because they want the extra iCloud storage, if nothing yeah. else. Um, 
with the education hat on, it's slightly different. And I'm hoping actually that something similar to this maybe comes from Apple for the education sector too, because I don't think this small business program is really aimed at it. I don't think it's aimed it's at education. It's definitely not. You can't use it in education yet because, yeah. I mean, A, it's in beta, so it hasn't been fully released yet. Yeah. Um, B, it is uh, for business, so you have to enroll. You have to have a Duns number, which Duns and Bradstreet, you know, uh, credit well, I reporting. I mean, it's the same to join account. Apple School Manager, right? So one of the most difficult things, one of the most typically Apple things, is to get our university into Apple School Manager was extremely difficult because in Ireland, education is not for profit; it's for education. So we don't have a Duns number because we're not a business. We're a university. <laughs> we were established by law. There is literally the Universities of Ireland Act 1997. <laughs> Therein lies the need to have a, an SE who returns your calls, I guess. <laughs> it took us a lot of faffing about to get Apple to yeah. accept the Irish statute book as proof that we exist. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, I, you know, that... That does make sense. It's an API they could query in order to approve organizations asking to join the program. You know, I, I understand programmatically why they made the it's very that easy choice. Right? Yeah, um, you know, I this I, I would say to me this is a really interesting scenario because does Apple care the way Microsoft cares with Intune? Um, Microsoft has a vice president who is responsible for a budget number yeah. and that's what this person does. And going back to the SCCM era, et cetera, like they almost put certain companies like Altiris and others out of business by entering that market. Mm. So it's interesting when I hear as an example that this competes with Jamf. And again, I don't work there anymore, you know, but um, I'm like, I, I don't know that Apple does care. I, I guess we'll see. I mm. think um, it's great that now people won't have to re-enroll devices if they forget to renew a certificate and profile manager. If a new version of OS 10 server comes out, the blows out profile manager like that. Um, this does way less. It does less than any other MDM that I that I know of, actually, because it's new and all Apple new things do less than the second version will probably do. Right. So I, I think what's different here is you have a link for the video in the show notes. Yes. There was a vice president in the video, and that's something we haven't really seen before. We've seen... I, I won't name their names, but we've we've seen humans at Apple who were involved in these server projects or device management projects. But when you have a vice president, now you have a budget holder whose yeah. pride potentially or um, professional status, shall we say, professional status is is somewhat tied to the success of something like this. So I'm not sure if anyone sees it as a moneymaker or, hey, you know, we need to be able to compete better with Google by having this for net new small environments. I don't think it'll make an impact to revenues at any of the existing MDM providers because, like I said, a lot of those supervised devices would need to be wiped if someone was moving to this from another tool. So, yeah. 
but my thing, like, I, if, if I, a, I have no relationship with Jamf other than the fact that everyone keeps recommending them to me. Um, <laughs> but if I, if 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 I were to be a Jamf shareholder or something, I wouldn't be panicking because this strikes me as being very similar to when Safari added a password manager feature. People were saying, "Oh my God, it's the end of one password and LastPass." No, it wasn't. Yeah, one it, password just got 150, 200 more million in venture capital, like just a couple of months ago. Exactly, <laughs> because what actually happened was the market simply expanded to cover people who just didn't have access before, and I yeah. just sort of see that happening again. Because if you're big, you're going to be in your Intune style environment. You're going to be looking for your jam. You're going to be looking for your giant, big, you know, old bells and whistles does everything like. The whole the re the value you get from going with Intune is that you're you're tied in all the way with Defender three six five and you have this full coverage from the cloud to the edge and it's all together in one. But that's of no interest whatsoever to a small company with five people. Yeah. So right now they're in a place where they have no management. They have zero interest in bells, whistles, and twiddly bits. <laughs> but something would be really quite useful for them because now you have some poor guy or you know some poor person who has to manage five other people's iphone ipad mac i get just ballooning yeah and that's why we wrote jamf now all those years ago um i would say you know every small business needs very different tools Mm -hmm. um that we oversimplified the market in order to ship a product, which in software development is kind of what you have to do, right? (laughs) And over the years, that product has gotten more and more complicated as more and more features are added because more and more five-person companies say, oh, I need to install a software package as an example. So Business Essentials doesn't support software packages yet. Mm -hmm. It may someday. But all of a sudden, that one little feature, now there's X percent of the market that can't use it because of that. Or maybe it doesn't have um, volume purchase program for um, internal apps, uh, company to B2B apps, they call it. Um, right. So, you know, that becomes another one. Uh, I, I, you know, from Champ now, I would say we saw you know, some pretty large companies could use it, but they needed a very small set of features. And, you know, there are other companies out there. Champ was early to market in this regard, but now there's dozens of companies that do this exact thing, including Microsoft with Intune. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if uh, your compliance requirements or if an organization's requirements, you know, call for it and some very small five person video production studios who maybe subcontract to a Marvel or a public company also need to meet those same compliance right. requirements. An, aud- an auditor comes in and you don't actually need anything fancy, right? The auditor comes in and they're going to ask you a very simple questions. So how many devices do you have and what are they? Well, unless <laughs> they're managed, that's actually a really difficult question to answer. How are they patched? How are they kept up to date? Well, unless they're in management, that's a really hard question to answer. And so if all you get out of this is here are all of our devices, we can remote wipe them and we can force them to have software updates. Oh, yeah. And we can force them to have a passcode. That's it. Right. <laughs> if you can do that. When, yeah. When when Chip hired me uh, to, to work on Jamf now, 
he, I, I was talking about inventory and he was like, you know, inventory is the least sexy and most important thing we do. It absolutely, absolutely is because it is the first question an auditor will always ask you. So what do you got? And the, the difficulty in answering that question is immense. Yeah. What version is all of it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Or, what do you got? What's it running and how are you keeping it current? Yeah. Are all the security patches on it? You know, because yeah, yeah. no one wants to be part of a target or, you know, any of any of the hundreds of organizations who have had Breaches. some kind of supply chain attack or whatever. Right. No, you don't want to be so, right. You don't want to be the person sending the email going, yeah, one of our laptops was stolen. It had all of the customer data on it. It wasn't encrypted. We couldn't remote wipe it. So it's all gone. Sorry about that. So when it, at, at a JNUC, which is Champ's conference before I joined Champ, uh, long before, because I'd already written books on Apple device management before I, I went to Champ. And I was giving a presentation at one of their events and I, I said, you know, profile manager, someone asked me about profile manager and I was like, it's great. It's the best gateway drug to buy Champ that I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and so uh, to me, when it comes to Apple business essentials, I'm still on the fence to see how it evolves and whether it is a great gateway drug for that net new organization. Because if you walk into an Apple retail store and you, you buy three or five devices with a business account mm -hmm. right now, I'm assuming that the, that they're going to start pushing people into, in, in into Apple business essentials as so. part of their selling motion. And that's great. And I'm curious to see how it evolves because at first profile manager was what people recommended when you went into Apple stores and eventually they sold we had to make boxes for Champ now because Apple Retail only sells things that's in a box, or at least at the time. <laughs> it's not an SKU so, if it's in a box. Yeah. Okay. So even though it was just a license code, we had to, you know, Box print it. boxes and and sell them in the stores. So I'm curious to see if, um, based on the success, because if you're selling things to customers and you sell something that goes bad, the customer gets mad at you. Right. right. So I'm, I'm curious to see, based on the success over the course of the next few months or failure of different customers and being able to use this product, how it goes, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if you can answer this because I don't know if, if it's I don't know if it's even knowable yet, because, again, this is beta not yet released. But I only know about this stuff firsthand from the Apple Schools product because I'm in the education sector and so I don't have mm -hmm. access. But. In order for us to do any management, whether it be one Mac or a million Macs, it's the same thing, or be the iPhones, whatever, we sign up to Apple School Manager, and that allows us to assert our ownership over devices we have purchased. Right. And then that also allows us to manage private Apple IDs. They're mm -hmm. Basically, they're, they're Apple IDs at our domain, and they allow us to federate Apple IDs that are public domain. So we can either have secret Apple IDs or we can have federated Apple IDs that use in our, you know, Office 365, Google, whoever yeah, for authentication. It only works with Azure, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're a Microsoft house, so we're integrated with Office 365, which is mm -hmm. great because you have an Apple ID at your university email address. And because it's education, you get your five gigs of Apple, of uh, iCloud storage, which is great. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> best thing about it actually um and then you have this gap you have this chasm so you can register your ownership as a device you can create your apple ids and you can register for volume purchasing 
And then you have no ability whatsoever to do anything with those devices or that software without buying a third party MDM. Well, that's not entirely true. I mean, you could be you could have been using Profile Manager this whole time, except the issues that I pointed out with Profile Manager. Yeah, that just never that, that just then. never struck me as being a viable friends solution. Don't let ruin your own. Use Profile Manager. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I mentally blurred that out of my memory because, from my point of view, it was always Mosey, Jamf, or Intune that you needed mm-hmm. to fill in the gap between these devices are ours. Now do something with them. This software is ours. Now give it to people. And yeah. I'm assuming for business, it's exactly the same thing, but you replace school.apple.com with business.apple.com. Yeah, they look almost identical under the hood. And, you know, I, I even the volume purchase program and the way it works looks very similar under the hood. And for listeners who haven't used this kind of thing, the volume purchase program allows me as an administrator to assign a financial person to give money to an account. And then I can go and buy a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 copies of an app. And as Bart they also mentioned, you, they also make yeah. you pick the number of copies of a free app, which is just ridiculous. So well, I, I go nice in and thing, I, I buy a thousand copies of a free app <laughs> or 99 999,000 copies. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the reason for that is if you deploy the app through the volume licensing, um, then you can restrict the ability for apps that you as a device management tool or administrator of the tool have deployed to communicate with each other or outside of that walled garden. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if I gave you one note and um, some other word, mm-hmm. I, I but I didn't give you Google Docs. You can't take information if I flagged it as such and move it to Google Docs outside of our walled garden. Um, and and that that's cryptographically uh, required on iOS um, in order to to be able to do that. And that's really the only way to secure corporate data. Um, which I, I doubt you care very much about at the university. Oh, no, no, but... we absolutely do, because where does intellectual property come from? Oh, right. well, a lot of it Universities yeah. are obsessed with intellectual property oh, for yeah. a very good reason. They, they own a lot of patents. <laughs> but not just patents, right? You have, you have researchers in competition with other institutions. They are extremely concerned that they can securely communicate their ideas and things with, 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 with colleagues and with people in other institutions yeah, in a fair. very controlled way. I guess I was way. thinking about students more than uh, educators and or postdocs, researchers, et cetera. But yeah, for sure. I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We have obviously many, many, many more undergrads than non, you know, than, than researchers and stuff. But in terms of the amount of work they create and the amount of volume they make <laughs> on our call tracking system, it is very much the case that the researchers make far more demands on our time. I can imagine. Yeah. Far more. <laughs> Because so, whenever you, you do you know, something like, yeah, we're switching to Office 365 instead of on-premise file stores, like panic, 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 this is going to be the end of research, all of our data is in the cloud. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it's Microsoft's cloud, it's encrypted at rest, they don't, it's all saying in European data centers, it's covered by GDPR, oh, okay, panic averted. But that that is sort of the way these things go. Yeah. It, it's interesting because the way that the way that you phrase this is Apple's renewed focus on business and enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. And, um, I do feel like 
Apple has the largest enterprise of devices in the world in the consumer space. Yes. Right? Like they manage all those devices that all of us use that don't work at companies or don't have devices under management. And they pick the best security parameters, et cetera. You can always lock them down further. You know, you mentioned parental controls earlier or we can just lock them down. I mean, you mentioned one password. You know, we can add things to our security posture that Apple doesn't want to impose globally let's yeah. say. Um, I, I would say this is definitely more of um, a renewed focus on smaller organizations being able to self-manage smaller fleets of devices. Mm. And um, and I, I, I like it. It's super pretty. It, <laughs> Also, by the way, okay, as is that, true that is, with most things is... Apple makes. <laughs> right. I, I can safely say that uh, Intune is the opposite of super pretty. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, in my experience working with a lot of small business people who try to go about doing some somewhat complicated technical gymnastics, um, like certain things just aren't super obvious. Hmm. Like oh, I'm installing apps on 100 devices and they keep asking me for the, the user to accept the app, as an example. That typically means the devices aren't supervised, which means that maybe they were manually enrolled rather than um, DEP enrolled out of the box. And which DEP is very is the, different. Which is very different. Now you have an unsupervised device out there. A lot of policies don't apply to unsupervised devices especially the one about them not automatically getting those apps. And some users might want to tap OK and know the apps that we're loading because apps might communicate back to a server and show me well, it, the it's, it's a very GPS different, coordinates. It's a very something. different situation, right? If you have an app that is bought by the company slash university slash whatever, the organization, mm-hmm. then it's going to be in, like you call it their DEP, which basically means the app belongs to the organization but can be used by the user, which means that you as the person with the MDM have the power to assert yourself because, well, bloody hell, it's your device. But the opposite situation is when you self-enroll the app, what you're telling Apple is, this is my device and I'm letting the organization supervise me. But it means that the ultimate control remains with the owner of the device, which is the user. Which Which is how it should be. Which is how it should be, right? But if you have corporate-owned devices and you're asking people to self-enroll, you are denying yourself the ability to manage them properly. Yeah, and that that's something I see a lot from non-technical individuals who try to use this kind of tooling. You know, um, they, we just don't know what we're getting into. And then if we yeah. gave someone, let's say, a mail account through that MDM and we go to to try to supervise the device, then we have to install all new profiles. And therefore, the email and any of the apps and any of the data in the apps have to be installed a, again. Hmm. And then further, if we outgrow that tool, let's say, oh, we need to install packages because we want to deploy Adobe products across the fleet. Well, now you have to move to another MDM, which means you have to re-enroll all these devices. So, you know, I I have long-term concerns if, if enough effort isn't put into it about actually potentially harming organizations by forcing them to re-enroll later, you know? Um, But hopefully it all goes great because it, like I said, it's, it's the prettiest MDM I've seen 
by far. <laughs> well, that, that, that is that is good to hear because I haven't obviously seen it. I've just read and easiest to use, and it's the only way to get free or additional storage for iCloud without having to give out a bunch of gift cards or something like that. At yeah, a I was going to say because that's the other big problem, right? If you don't have Apple School Manager, when a member of staff comes to you and says, "I want this app." Your only choice is either that you make them go through a claim back process with with, uh, with finance, you know, basically business expense process. In which case, it's now associated to their account permanently. Yes. And you can, yeah, that's the other thing about the volume purchase program. When a person leaves an organization, you then you the reclaim the, the license and associate it to their replacement, right? Exactly. But, because before that, like, we didn't want having people to have to expense it is very unpopular with the the employees because they then have to upfront the cost. So the only other alternative is gift cards. Yeah. Yeah. And gift cards are then the are even worse because you as the organization have spent money. It is associated with an Apple ID you have no control over. And when the person leaves, the gift card you gave, it's gone. And I've seen that reach the threshold where it's a taxable benefit. And so now you have a whole other, now the HR people are like, wait a minute, what did you do? You gave them them how much money? (laughs) Yeah, because it's theirs, right? It's on their Apple ID. So if you bought them something expensive, it's Mm -hmm. theirs. And they leave, you know, a month later or whatever, they leave and you're left going, oh, well, I guess we're buying that again. Yeah. Everybody wants to be legal. And if we give someone a benefit and haven't taxed, haven't paid tax, Mm-hmm. on that or they haven't paid tax on that then we may be in violation of certain i mean there are so many reasons why this stuff has evolved the way it's evolved yeah. um i i do have to say the the guy who was on the video um jeremy is one of the smartest people i know and that is good and it, you know the more involved he is in something like this those engineers have been writing the api endpoints cuz nothing jamf can do or it, or mosul as you as you mentioned or intune nothing any of those organizations can do would be possible without apple engineers writing apis for us to do the stuff that we do yes and so they have all the all the knowledge and skills um it'll be interesting to see if they continue to focus on building better APIs so that all vendors can do a lot with this kind of stuff, um, because that that's where I have a feeling this is going. And if that's the case, then I think we'll see organizations much happier long-term with rolling out large fleets of devices because more of their needs are being met by ad- added API endpoints that allow the third parties to do the things that they need to do. Yeah. If that and makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I'm going to move us on in a sec, but I guess just sort of the last point to throw in is that you're very right to point out how good the Apple engineers are at those APIs because for a long time, Intune had better support for Apple products than Android products. <laughs> Much better. Much better. Like not just a little bit better, but you had Microsoft engineers coming in to pitch Intune basically saying our management of windows is grand our management of ios is superb do you have many android devices <laughs> yeah and I, I would say this is a place where since ios 3 apple has led the market um you know i think they took a look at the windows management paradigm 
because Android wasn't really a thing yet. Um, and they said, wait, this policy-based management, group policy objects, all this type of stuff, we really don't like the way this works. And also it just doesn't apply for an iPhone. And so trying to rethink the paradigm with push because effectively, and, and then BlackBerry, all of your data went through research and motion yeah. servers in Canada. So the the two predominant ways that people manage devices, I think Apple is just like, we don't want your data. So just like your data with any push notification, like the the badge for mail, we know that you have mail. We don't know what the contents of the mail are. And the same is true with mobile device management, where if you're using a third party MDM, um, and with with compliance, I would assume this would be true for the business essentials team at Apple. Um, Apple doesn't know what we're sending to devices. They just know that we're sending something, something. So your Wi-Fi password, as an example, is something super common or an 802.1x configuration profile or um, what what policies or what do we allow and block uh, in terms of features? Apple doesn't know any of that. That data doesn't flow through their servers. The only thing that flows through their servers is the fact that the device needs something and then it needs to talk back to the MDM to get the thing that it needs, you know? And it's so, certificates all the way down, right? Because basically Apple are oh, yeah. ensuring there's cryptography, which is end to end. And so if Apple see anything, it's a bunch of cryptographic glup. Yeah, yeah. The, the certificates and then the the shell of the push notification as with Instagram, you know, your Apple knows that there is something that someone t- that Instagram has an alert for you. They Pushed. don't know what's in the alert with yes. push notifications. And that's kind of the power of push. I think it's awesome. And also it conserves battery and all the other things. You know? Yes. Yes. No and there. I remember the first time I applied a, a policy and I saw an, a change immediately on the device with the old GPO mechanisms, you had to log out and log in to get the policies. So and wait for a full moon on a Tuesday. And... <laughs> yeah, if, if you did it right and if they they kind of assimilated correctly. Um, but you know, so Apple really led, and I would say a lot of other vendors, Google, Microsoft, have followed in their management techniques by allowing these more modern types of. Mm. Um, of management, but it had to like Apple had to do it to to force everyone else to to kind of update their own yeah. modalities. You know, yeah. cool. Okay, well, hey, that was fascinating, and this is why I had you on. Um, <laughs> we should also mention there was a second program. You know, the way you can sort of subscribe to an iPhone as a normal end person, you can basically pay Apple a monthly fee, and then you just get new iPhones. Well, there is now an equivalent for MacBooks for businesses, where you can basically subscribe to a laptop, which, uh, you know, the way business accounting works, people prefer to have some time, you know, some... Um, What's the word? Uh, basically, it's an easier to budget if you know exactly what's happening and exactly when it's happening. Right. Um, okay. We are two out of four stories. We're going to go a bit quicker on the other ones. Um, so main story number three is that Apple are suing the NSO group, the makers of the Pegasus spyware, and they are suing them in the United States of America. 
Uh, it's kind of fascinating to read because this is obviously an Israeli company. So if you read through the lawsuit, if you read through the, the Apple have published the PDF of the actual lawsuit and I actually had to scan through it uh, for my sins. Um, a bit like you get Al Capone on tax avoidance, you can get the NSO group on abuse of Apple IDs. Because in order to hack all of those iPhones, they had to register for hundreds of Apple IDs, which means they entered into hundreds of contracts with Apple. Um, and so basically, because the NSO group abused Apple IDs, Apple can sue them in California. And they are asking, what are they, they're asking for quite a bit. So they're asking the NSO group to be enjoined from using any of Apple's services or devices. They are looking for compensation for all the work Apple had to put in to clean up after the mess they made. And they're looking for some punitive damages. Oh yeah, and they're also giving 10 million to people like Media Lab who seek out and expose this kind of spyware in the first place. So um, I think this is very interesting to watch this happen. I love this so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in I would say in every book I've done on security, I'm like, who's writing this and where's the money going? Mm. You know, it, it all comes down because why why do this stuff if there's no financial benefit? Uh, I mean, except, aside from nation state hacking, which arguably does go back to a benefit of some kind. But, it, it, yeah. yeah. You know, um, but most of these things are loading adware of some kind and it's really all about, you know, presenting ads and, or getting into your Bitcoin wallet or into your, I mean, the NSO group, that's not quite the case, right? Their business model is we'll sell to governments to let you spy on people, but we won't look too carefully about who you are, who they are. Yeah. And even their home country wants to prosecute them for various things. <laughs> I, I feel mildly sorry for them because they got into a lot of trouble for uh, doing stuff on behalf of Saudi Arabia, but they were actually pressured by the Israeli government to do the stuff for Saudi. And now the Israeli government are hearing and going, oh, bad, 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 bad. And I'm thinking, but you told them to. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like this is one of those places where you make a line in the sand and you don't cross it ever, ever. Because if you cross it just a little bit, then you cross it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And before you know it, you're just doing whatever anybody wants. So that's um, going back to the financial benefit thing, though, like by going hard after. And this is an interesting aspect of potentially having a physical office in Russia (laughs) with which to sue people from. But um, by going hard after the, the people who are abusing the systems that you set up, because, you know, with with attestation of the app developer being tied to the ability for Gatekeeper to allow an app to open, you're saying, well, your developer ID can be revoked and if you do bad things, we'll revoke your developer ID. Right. But if you're actively creating multiple developer IDs so you can do bad things multiple times, then you are obviously breaking the terms of service. Maybe not the law, but definitely a tort, you know? Well, I mean, if you look, so I went and looked, obviously, like I say, I read through the PDF of the lawsuit. And so it's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. No surprises there. There's some California stuff. And then there's breach of contract. 
is one of the actual grounds for the lawsuit because as far as Apple are concerned, say you signed up for hundreds of Apple IDs. Well, you're not allowed to do that. Therefore, you've entered a contract with us and you've broken it. So Yeah, your company can have hundreds of Apple IDs, but don't create hundreds of Apple IDs unless they're nested within a single developer organization. Right, and in this case, they weren't doing it as a developer at all, right? Because they were trying to get their malware onto people, so they were setting up fake Apple IDs, fake normal consumer Apple IDs to send booby-trapped iMessages because, remember, the malware was distributed over iMessage and exploiting bugs in iMessage so that when the phone received the iMessage, it would hack itself. So Mm -hmm. they really were abusing... They were breaking Apple's terms of service, plain and simple, and a lot of the times the fact that the CFAA is too broad is a problem. But in this case, this actually really is abuse, right? Fraud and abuse, you know? Yeah, my favorite part of this is Apple's like, and by the way, we're going to give $10 million away. Yeah, so I screw like you double. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not about the money, obviously. Yeah, and the Citizens Lab is an extremely worthy organization to, to get this kind of support from Apple. So it's, it's, despite being a story about some icky, icky stuff, it's actually a very much a good news story. And I, I, I'm very keen to see how it turns out. The other thing that struck me is that usually Apple don't comment on ongoing litigation, right? They don't, that, that, their answer is always, no, 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 we don't comment on ongoing litigation. But they put a VP out who basically went, we are sending a message. He actually said, this lawsuit is a message. It's, it's you don't see that all the time. So they're serious about this. I, yeah, good. I mean, they built a rubric very intentionally that took a decade to unfold. I mean, I mean, it's it's their security architecture, the the underpinnings of the security architecture. I mean, what Gatekeeper came out in ten four or ten five. Right. I mean, this goes back very far, and watching it implement, watching it get implemented the way it has been. It's obvious, like they were very intentional. And so if someone's going to intentionally violate it, then especially if there's profit involved, then I'm, I'm all for going hard, on, going hard after them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to move us on to our last story. Uh, we're running a little long, so I'm going to be a bit quicker about this than I could be. Um, there was an article in Forbes uh, the headline sort of gives you an idea of how this thing was going. Apple quietly buying ads via Google for high-value subscription apps to capture app publisher revenue, which basically is a ooga ooga scandal scandal, Apple being big, mean, evil company. What Apple were actually doing was buying Google ads for apps in their app store, and the ads were very, very clearly for the app store. There was no secrecy whatsoever, and when you clicked on them, you went to the app store. This, this is as far from secret as one could get. And this isn't nefarious. This is literally part of the value proposition of the App Store. Like Apple have explicitly said to developers, the reason we take a 30% cut is that we do credit card processing and we publicize your app. That is like Steve Jobs stood up on stage and said it was one of the best things about the App Store. (laughs) So I'm just like, this is literally the equivalent of my local footwear, the place I buy all of my trainers and stuff is called Sports Direct. They advertise New Balance. They advertise Skechers. Of course they do. And that's not them attacking Skechers. Like, what? So anyway, I'm completely just like, but we've put Apple in the headline, we've pretended, we've twisted it to be something negative and we've got some clickbait from it. It's just, 
Ah, very cranky. Very cranky. Yeah, I've got nothing on this. I, I agree with you. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It was such a big scandal and it made all the headlines. And I, was trying, I, I, I wanted it in the show somewhere because I wanted to say my piece. It's probably not really worthy of a main story. Anyway, there we go. Since we're running long, we'll we'll call it a day at that. But yeah, I was cranky as all heck. So I've got that out of my system now. I feel better. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, see, this is therapy as much as a podcast. Anyway, uh, let's wrap up with a few quick stories. Um, Apple have announced their annual awards. They were just press releases. So we have music awards, we have podcast awards, and we have App Store awards. The links are in the show notes. I didn't find any of these particularly exciting. If there's any here you want to get excited about, Charles, speak up. Nah. No. No. <laughs> If you're looking for some shiny Beats headphones to gift people this holiday season, um, Beats have gone two special editions out. They partnered with Fragment Design for some limited edition Flex headphones. And they partnered with a Union uh, for some Studio Buds, which look, actually, they look really nice, the Union ones. I don't want them because they're those horrible in-ear design, but they look nice. Um... Apple have updated their App Store app so you can finally save products for later. Thank you, Apple, at long bloody last. I don't want to throw it in my cart, but I do want to be able to save a link for later. Thank you. I'll put this in the category of things I didn't know I wanted until I saw it. (laughs) Ah, see, I've been an Amazon app user for years, and it's just so easy to go pop this on the list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I go to the Apple app, and it's like, oh, I can stick it in my cart. No, this is only a maybe purchase. How dare, how dare you assume? Because then I'll do something stupid, like I'll go click checkout on something else. And it's like, oh, no, that was still in there. Oopsie daisies. Anyway, so thank you, Apple. Uh, Apple also made a point of uh, saying they had raised $270 million for AIDS with Product Red. And if you like Product Red stuff, there are shiny new Product Red Apple Watch faces, which you can activate on your phone as well. If you're a Windows iCloud user, you got a big update to iCloud 13, which gives you ProRes and ProRaw, as well as a better version of the integrated password manager, which is nice. If you're the kind of person who likes Find My and you're the kind of person who likes nice backpacks, you may be interested here that Targus have unveiled a new backpack with built-in Find My support. So no more strapping an AirTag to your backpack. You can have the backpack be the AirTag. That's cool. I think it's really cool. I have... I have air tags on all my backpacks and it would be nice if the backpack just was the air tag. So, yeah, I like that. And finally, for those of you who would like to run Linux on your M1 Max, uh, Canonical's Multipass can now run Ubuntu Linux in a VM on your M1 Mac for you. So nice and easy, point and click, ta-da, have some virtual Linux on your M1 Mac. So all good stuff. Right, well, that brings us to the end of a busy month's worth of Apple news. Uh, Charles, thank you so much for helping me digest it all. And thank you for having me. It was It's a blast. I love doing this. Oh, well, good, because I had great fun talking to you. So would you like to remind the listeners where they can hear more of your work? Yeah, um, so I have a podcast called The History of Computing, and there I just go through nerdy computer history stuff. And then there's the Mac Admins podcast and uh, cryptid.com, K-R-Y-P-T-E-D.com is my personal website. So I would say those are the easiest ways to find me. 
Excellent. Thank you again. Um, listeners, there will be detailed show notes with links to all of the stories that inform my thinking on this month's news over at lets-talk.ie. There is a section in the sidebar called support the show. I want to give a big thank you, as always, to everyone who has ever supported the show. Um, this is a show that is entirely listener supported. I have this thing that I don't want advertisers because then I might end up in a difficult position where I have to you know, not say things I want to say or say things I don't want to say. So I don't want advertisers and uh, stuff costs money. So the only way to make that circle into a square or whatever the phrase is, is because you guys all rock, right? The show exists for one reason and one reason only. I have great listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to draw a line at it now because we're running long. So uh, let's talk.ie for the show notes. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time for episode 100, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, my name is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS at InTouchWithIOS.com with my co-host, Warren Sklar. We talk about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and related technologies. We also have some great Apple guests from the Apple community that also talk to us uh, relating to any tips, any apps, any news of the day, anything that's going on with Apple. Please give us a listen. Our website is InTouchWithIOS.com.